the sacred heart is bleeding Go tell the Holy Ghost That the junkie is cheating To get the things he needs the most Lady Luck has got me covered Keeping her watchful eyes over me The lovers are discovered The charge is first degree Good morning and welcome to episode 736 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. Got a guest today. We are talking to him live from Angel Stadium. He is Pedro Mora of the OC Register, who covers the Angels and Dodgers. Hey, Pedro. Hey, guys. Wanted to talk to you today because... The Angels are my only shot at picking an AL playoff team this year. (laughs) They're (laughs) the only lifeline I have right now. And Sam and I have talked before about how we don't really root for teams, but sometimes you end up rooting for your own predictions. And I'm far past the point of salvaging most of my preseason predictions, but the Angels are the one AL team that I've still got a shot at getting, and they have... Won seven games in a row. We are talking to you before Wednesday's game, which you couldn't really ask for a more favorable matchup. I don't know in the post-Rich Hill world whether you can really ever count on anything, but they have a home game with Garrett Richards going against Barry Zito. So that's the best you can really hope for in any given game. And they are, as we speak, a playoff team. So how did they get here? Uh, They got here by being okay all season long, by never straying too far from 500, and then going on a crazy run of, uh, of one-run outcomes in September. They've won 10 straight one-run games. They have by far the best one-run record in the major leagues. I think it's 33-16. and 16. No one else has more than like 26 one-run wins. You win a lot of close games, and you will be good. It's, uh, it's what the Baltimore Orioles rode to success a couple of years ago, and it's what the Angels have ridden this year. Like you, Ben, I am um, I am also somewhat hoping that they make it because of it will prove my predictions right. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had the Nationals and Mariners in the World Series, so uh, I'm doing <laughs> I had, really well. I had both of those teams in the playoffs and one of them in the World Series, so I'm right with you. Um, I had the Blue Jays. I had the Blue Jays. <laughs> just to, just to be, I had the Angels and the Blue Jays, not in the World Series, but in the playoffs. By the way, I am looking at my Rookie of the Year candidates. And uh, in the greatest year for rookies, like, ever, my three Rookie of the Year candidates in the American League have produced uh, 1.4 wins. <laughs> I picked Steven Souza. <laughs> yeah, I did, too. I also had Rizny Castillo and Dylan Bundy. Nice. Uh, a couple years ago, I picked uh, Aaron Hicks, so that's I think he produced negative war. <laughs> I think he's still eligible. Yes. <laughs> that's, you can't really do much worse than that. But I did have Trout and Harper as the MVP, so I'm happy with that. So they're 10 and 0 in one run games in the last 20 days or 20 games you tweeted, which is crazy. Does it feel like that to everyone or does it feel like they are actually hot and good or does it feel like they're just on an incredible run of luck all of a sudden? Of course when you're when you're a baseball player on a team that is having that sort of success, you don't think that you're just getting lucky, but I think that yeah, I think that they feel that they're that they're good. 
uh, I think they felt that they're good all year long. When you have the expectations that come with winning 98 games the year before, you're going to keep that self-belief in all year long. It, the crazy thing about the one-run games is that they've done a good portion of it without uh, without their two best relievers, um, Joe Smith and Houston Street. In, in a span of seven days, they lost their their eighth and ninth inning men, it, which doesn't really happen very often. So there is, um, I don't know how to how to phrase it other than you know they're they're pretty good clearly, and they've gotten lucky and played well in the most important time of the season, The uh, and, and now they're in position to make the playoffs. But it's still, I think, as we stand right now, it's like a 53% chance, according to BP's odds, that they're, that they're in. So it, it, can, it can swing either way. They could win the division. They could win the wild card. They could play 163 on Monday. They could play in four cities in the next eight days. It's, uh, it's all up in the air. And they've been outscored only by six runs or so, but we did a show not long ago about the Twins and the Rangers, who had both been outscored at that point, and we're still contending. And in both of those teams' cases, it seemed like they were better than that currently, that that was still reflecting what they were in the first half of the season, and that they had upgraded. And is the same true for the Angels? Because, like, you know, they haven't traded for Cole Hamels or called up Miguel Sano or anything. So are they still that team, or have they improved in other ways? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. They they uh, right at the deadline, right before the deadline, is when they were the hottest they were all year. Um, I think on July 26th they made like three trades, and at that point their playoff odds were really high. They were they had a couple game lead in the division, uh, and then they just started losing after that. Uh, after they acquired David Murphy, David DeJesus, and uh, Shane Victorino all, all to play left field, <laughs> right. um, which which didn't make much sense at the time, and still doesn't make all that much sense because maybe one of them will make the playoff roster maybe two uh-huh. so no you you can't really say i can't sit here and tell you that they that they made obvious improvements um and it is it is interesting that their run differential is about 100 runs worse than the astros yeah. right now uh, for most of the season oakland has had a better differential than the angels i think until about two weeks ago that's how it was hmm. um but that's you know oakland and, and the angels have essentially had opposite luck in one run games or opposite performance yeah. so no they they're not they're not demonstrably better than they were they didn't add cole hamels like you said and um I thought when when the Rangers added Hamels, I thought it didn't make very much sense because they they didn't have it. I think you guys talked about it on your podcast actually about the Rangers were overpaying for Hamels because everybody else was could could value him for the for the remaining two months of the season and the Rangers couldn't so much. But it turns out that they were uh, maybe they were valuing him the right way in the right manner because they were getting surplus value from him this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Angels don't have anyone like that. David Murphy's the biggest acquisition they made, and he's got like a he's right around 100 OPS plus. The Angels, by the way, on the trade deadline, at the trade deadline, the Angels' playoff odds were 73%, and the Rangers' playoff odds were 5.6%. Yeah. Is it worth mentioning, is it worth bringing up, taking seriously, the fact, perhaps fun fact, that Mike Sosha is going to outperform Pathag for the 11th year in 12? Yeah, it's it's worth it. Um, it's, a, it's a continuous discussion, continuous mystery however you want to put it, that his teams continue to outperform their expectations. It's, it's, maybe it's just that I've realized it recently that, that I've been covering the team the last three years, but there's, there's so much criticism of him by the team's fan base. I think uh, baseball fans just love to criticize their, their own manager. Uh, at least that's, it's hard to escape that feeling. But uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason that he is a, be- is a below average manager. I've seen no evidence. You know, I wrote last year that he, he had adopted some sabermetric principles. Jerry DePoto helped, helped drill those into him. And he, I, I think that he's retained them. He's uh, batted Mike Trout second for some of this year. He's, he's, he's shown a willingness to, he's not outwardly disobeying anything that would make you think that he doesn't know what he's doing, if that makes sense. He's, he's, everything's within reason. But there's no 
narrative that he's a genius like there was with the Orioles that you brought up where it was the bullpen's the best and Buck Showalter's the best and they bring up tons of guys from AAA so they always have a full pen and there were all these explanations for why they were winning all these one-run games. Is there any equivalent? By the way, or like there was with Mike Sosha for a while when uh-huh. he was winning all these one-run games with, you know, Ben Weber and uh, that other guy, Brendan Donnelly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't see any genius theories. I, I don't hear them, at least. It, it, I always thought it was, it was so great about Buck because wasn't, wasn't Buck Showalter kind of? Didn't people not really think he did a good job at his previous manager jobs? I guess the rap on him was that he just wore out his welcome every time as he was about to build a good team, and people got sick of him because he was a control freak, and maybe he's mellowed. But yeah, in Baltimore, he has certainly gotten more credit than he did before i think although he was i think he was regarded as a good tactical manager i don't think that there is a rightful genius narrative around Sosha. um other the only the most remarkable narrative thing around him is this that he's been on this job for so long for 16 years since mike trout was six how good was mike trout when he was six i wonder yeah probably better I, uh, than david murphy what was his text punctuation like back then <laughs> that's a good question would, we would, would actually be... like to know that that's not even a joke we'd like to know that since we're talking about Trout, we got a question from a listener named Eric, and he says, I don't understand Mike Trout's career arc so far. His stats seem to me to indicate that he has evolved into a guy in his early 30s. More power, less running, worse defense. Could Mike Trout secretly be 32? What do you think are the odds that he's already had his best season? I think that... uh I'm amazed by my Mike Trout's career arc, both in the fact that it's been so endlessly good and in the fact that, like like your questioner said, the speed, the changes he's gone from power to speed, is, or from speed to power, I should say, is, is incredible. I mean, th- this guy basically hasn't stolen, he's stolen one base in the second half of this season. Our <laughs> schools has stolen four, and so that he doesn't try to anymore, and he's he's essentially a, a full-fledged power hitter. But in encouraging signs, the strikeouts have gone down this year, the walks have gone up, uh, he's, he's shown a will Willingness to adjust when pitchers get a book on him. Earlier this year, he showed that he could hit the high fastball. Recently, he started swinging more first pitches uh, and, and got a bunch of extra base hits on him, or like four or five. He swung at he swung at five first pitches and he had extra base hits on four of them. And I think that he uh, his career arc confounds me in some way that I, I you know we never thought I would have never predicted that his value would come almost entirely from his from his power. Last year, he was below average defensively, according to the metrics. This year, he's right around average. Even so, his value is coming strictly from the power. And I really wonder what he's going to be like when he's 29. Is it going to be even more of this? I mean, he's, you know, he can't really steal any less. He can't, have, he can't derive less value from his speed than he is right now. But when people look at his numbers, I, I get a lot of questions about, like, because of the way he lost all his speed and he's not, and he's not trying to steal. He can't steal. But that's not really what it is because if you watch his defense, I think he's he's almost as fast or it, he's lost maybe 10% of his first step in the outfield or anything like that. It's just that he's simply not trying to steal bases. And that's a whole other topic where whether Albert Pujols wants him to when he's batting it fr- when he's on base in front of him. But uh, it's not that he's slow. He's not he's not a slow baseball player. He's incredibly fast. He just uh, he just is not trying to steal bases and he's simply focusing on hitting for power. Does Albert Pujols not want him to when he's on base in front of Albert Pujols? Does Albert Pujols say that he say publicly that he does not want him to? No. Do, are indications of that? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, because I remember that came up last year when his stolen bases went down and people were asking him why, and he said something about that, just about not wanting to run into outs or you know wanting to let those guys concentrate or something. But it's 
so extreme. It's uh, unusual to see someone who has that aspect of his game just completely abandon it because of the preference of another player, if that's what it is. Yeah, he was 49 for 54 in stolen bases like three years ago, and this year he's he's 10 for 17. It doesn't make it, it it's it's incredible, right? <laughs> yes, he he's been caught more times with one fifth as many steals. Yeah, that is crazy. And we we got another question about his defense. Just from watching him, I mean, every now and then you see the play like from the other night where he robs a home run. It's not even every now and then. It's it's like three times a season or something he does that, and yet he still has sort of middling defensive ratings every year except 2012 does that jibe with what you see or do you think the stats miss something with him no i don't i don't think the stats you know i don't pretend to be a scout but i don't think the stats are obviously missing something i think he's in the range of an average defensive center fielder which is not uh which is not a criticism you know that's a that's a huge praise i mean when i've watched kevin kiermeyer a little bit this year and, and lorenzo kane and and those guys are i think clearly better uh-huh. Kevin Kiermaier is an incredible defensive center fielder, and you, you you can notice it in just a couple games watching him. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, yeah, I think Trout will, will stay in center field for for several years to come, and I think he's fine at the position. He's just not uh, he's not a Gold Glover. Uh-huh. And Pujols this season is almost as strange, really. It's uh, it's strange in a number of ways. His if you look at just his home run totals, it looks like Cardinals Pujols is back kind of, and then you look elsewhere in his stat line and. Of course, he hasn't walked like he did in St. Louis for years. He still doesn't really strike out, but when he puts the ball in play now, nothing good happens. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's partially that he's hitting more home runs and those don't count toward the Babbitt, but as you tweeted, it's like one of the couple lowest Babbitts in the last 30 years or so. Is that just speed? Is he just painfully slow or is it bad luck or is it something else? Yeah, there's, there's, if you were going to percentile it out or group it out, some of it would be the speed, right? He's one of the slowest players in baseball. He's on the Jose Molina level speed, but he's still faster than me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the hard hit rate has gone down some, not, not a huge amount, not, not, to, not enough to make the difference between the 265 Babbitt that he had last year and the 215 this year. And I think some of it is just, is just pure bad luck um, that, we, that we come to expect when you see that low of a Babbitt. The ISO is good, though. He's, he's, he's hitting for a lot of power. And I think the biggest problem with his season is just, like you said, that he's not walking. The last two years of the Angels, his walk rate is like 7% cumulative, which is just uh, when you consider what he put up year after year in St. Louis. I, I don't think, you know, I expected that he would, he would lose some of his power and that his average would go down these years in Anaheim. But I did not expect that he would start walking at this, at this low of a rate yeah. with, uh, with the Angels this early in the contract. Does he inspire confidence and or fear or does he seem like someone who's exploitable now that's actually a, a great question something I'm, i've been pursuing this this last couple these last couple weeks looking at if you're if you're a hitter like that you know you get it in post-game quotes all the time you know the manager of the opposing team will talk about pujols and how he's still a feared hitter and one of the best hitters in the major leagues <laughs> air quotes and yeah i think there's there's probably something to that probably is is a little bit to it and that that gets into that erstwhile topic of lineup protection which i i don't know it's so hard to to talk about definitively here's what i will say he's not the angels second best hitter that's cole calhoun cole calhoun is actually their second most valuable player Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of remarkable if they get to the playoffs they're going to be i was looking at this they're going to be the the first team in three years to make it with only two three-win players in trout and calhoun nobody else on their team is even close i think richards is just over two wins wow um and so 
it's just this is not a formula that, that usually works. But you know, the formula doesn't usually involve the best player in the American League and maybe the best player in the majors. So I don't know how much insight is required to answer this. So maybe nobody knows. But I'm wondering about whether there's going to start being pressure on Trout at some point to be a leader, to be more vocal. Right now, Trout still seems to me to be very kid-like, fairly deferential, and not really aspiring to be a leader in any particular way. And I don't know if at some point as he is older, more experienced, but also continues to be the best player on his team by far, and as Pujols and Weaver become a bit more marginalized by age, uh, if there's going to be pressure to put him into a role that isn't really naturally suited for his temperament, he's always kind of wherever he's gone in his life been the young kid, the young guy, the deferential guy. Do you feel like there's any pressure on him to be anything he's not in the clubhouse right now? Do you feel like this is a clubhouse that will demand more from him in the next couple of years? And do you think that that presents any sort of conflict for his career going forward? That's interesting, Sam. I, I think he... You're right. You're totally right in your assessment. From my perspective, you're right in your your assessment of his character. He doesn't really show much interest in being, you know, any more of a leader than he is now, which is to say, you know, the classic lead by example type. The good thing for him is that Albert Pujols is going to be here for a long time, um, and Albert Pujols is more than happy to fulfill that role um, on the team. You know, and I think some of that role is is more in in words than it is in in actions. I, I think, or at least in reality. Um, I don't I don't know. You know, I'm not in I'm not in their dining room. I'm not in their on their team flight and all that sort of thing but I, I think Albert Pujols is more than happy to be their leader and they have actually a lot of vocal veterans on the team Houston Street is a guy who's made that sort of his 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 MO over the course of the last five years or so I don't I, I don't know that Trout will ever be you know a vocal leader with the Angels in the, in the next five or five or six years on his deal I don't think so have you gotten an interesting quote out of him yet <laughs> has, has anyone <laughs> No. Uh, the, the funniest thing about him, his interviews, is that, um, and I really love this now that I noticed it, that I think about 60% of the time he will answer a question, his first two words will be, yeah, no. And, that, <laughs> and then he'll and then he'll answer it. And it's uh, it's really wonderful. You know, it's, it's I've never heard this from anyone else. Someone told me this might be a New Jersey thing, but I haven't heard that from any other Jerseyans that I know. So I'm not sure. But he, he starts the majority of his answers with, yeah, no. And that's and then, as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't really have a better uh, better tick than that, as far as it's, I'm concerned. I think it shows deep complexity of thought and character. He's <laughs> sees both sides and everything. When he was younger, he the first two words for every question were "It's neat." <laughs> I love that. I love that because athletes use that word and they never in interviews and they never use it in any other context. So last year, this team came into the postseason as the best regular season team in the league, probably. And there was a sense that it was very vulnerable, I think, just because they had lost Richards and they were kind of patching the rotation together. And now you kind of get the same sense. I mean, you never got the sense that they were as intimidating as they were last year. But if they do get in, like, is there anything about them that doesn't make them a stereotypically bad postseason team? It just seems like, you know, given the, the injuries in the bullpen and kind of the, the thinness of the rotation, maybe they just seem like the sort of team that fit every description of a team that doesn't do well in the playoffs, whether that is actually true or not. So do they have some sort of postseason weapon that I'm not paying attention to? 
Mm, no, not, uh, or unless I'm not paying attention to it as well. <laughs> if you were if you were a believer in uh, in late season performance indicating playoff success, then maybe True. they would have something. Right. But um, the evidence seems to show that that does not really have any predictive ability. And so, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, not really. Uh, yeah. I mean, they have the best player in the American League, and I guess that's that's got to be worth something. Mm-hmm. I think Garrett. One thing I will say is I think Garrett Richards has the potential to be one of the best starters on a, in a given in a given outing. Um, he had he is visibly one of the best pitchers in in the American League. He just hasn't really performed like it for a good portion of the season. But last year, I would scouts told, would tell me again and again that he was he was one of their favorite guys, one of the best guys that they saw all year long. And so if he pitches like that today and uh, maybe on Sunday or in the wild card game, then hey, yeah, that could be that could be incredibly valuable. You know, like you guys were saying the other day with the with the one player taken away from a, with the RIP player type deal. Mm-hmm. Having an ace, having a guy who can pitch like an ace, is is a huge, uh, is a huge asset. The Angels are extremely lacking in starting pitching relative to the rest of the league, but they do have one guy who can pit, who could potentially pitch like the like the best. That's about all they have going for them. That and they've they have the Matt sport. Latos finishing games. <laughs> yes, Matt Latos, <laughs> who is a who has a one fifth chance. Uh, if the Angels make it, of getting a uh, of getting a World Series ring, right? <laughs> That's true, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Last year, last year, as I recall, with Richards injured, they went with a three man rotation in the playoffs because they just didn't have an. And of those three, one was C.J. Wilson, who had like a 80 ERA plus or something. I know that Mike Sosha won't tell you, you know, who's starting tomorrow, even when everybody knows it. But do you have any sense of what? kind of rotation they would have would it be four who gets left out is is Heaney in it uh who starts game two and so on and so forth yeah I have some sense this is it's a good question good to get into it now so here's here's what it sort of looks like on Sunday Garrett Richards I think based on what Sosha has said is more likely than not going to start on short rest in Texas in this in the regular season finale if it helps the Angels if winning that game can assure them a chance at the at the wild court or, or or the division title, if it can't, then he doesn't start, and then he starts the first game of the playoffs, or he starts opening day next year if they lose. And then the next the next best choice is Heaney, uh, and then Weaver, and then probably Hector Santiago if the, if they go to a four man staff, and if not, then they have Garrett Richards start on short rest or Andrew Heaney. Of note here is that neither Garrett Richards nor Andrew Heaney has ever started on short rest before uh, in their in their lives, and so they will be doing something uh, unprecedented and and the angels are going to be shorthanded incredibly in their in their starting pitching. I mean they don't they just don't have I think their best pitcher in the Heaney is definitively their best pitcher in the second half and everyone else has had like a 3.8 ERA or above. It's just not they have not had a lot of success from the staff. And where do you think the GM search stands? Are they sitting on someone and waiting to announce? Are they still actively interviewing people? Uh, yeah, they are actively interviewing people. I think the favorite, at least as of this week, they had been interviewing people. Um, the favorite from everything I've heard remains Billy Epler, the, uh, the assistant GM for the Yankees. And um, one reason that's sort of been floated as to why he, they haven't decided officially on him is because of the possibility, the likely possibility, that they'll have to play the Yankees on Tuesday in the wildcard game. And uh, it would be a little weird, a little, I don't know, a little colluding, collusion-esque to, to name a GM like a couple days before your team, your teams play each other. So they might be waiting until after that. Or it could be a red herring and they couldn't. I'm not sure. It, it seems very likely that they're going to name someone who does not have GM experience. 
which which fits with what we've expected for a while now since Depoto resigned that uh, that the Angels would have trouble attracting someone who has a lot of experience doing this job because of the potential clash with Mike Sosha. So you think it is a as everyone has said it's sort of a you know potential problem waiting to happen and that we just saw the problem happen and the cause of the problem didn't really go away unless the cause of the problem was Jerry Depoto, but it seems like it's still ripe for the same thing to happen again. Or do you think that they will manage to find someone who is prepared coming in and doesn't rock the boat? Well, I actually have a, a little bit different opinion on this than some others do. And it's it's only somewhat backed in truth and some of it's just backed in conjecture. I think that the bigger problem, or at least the bigger reason for what happened in, in late June or late July with Depoto and Socha is actually the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, and how he has uh, has meddled in the organization in recent years. I think uh, I don't think anything got really that much worse with Depoto and Socha until just the, the very last couple days before it all went down. I think the bigger problem is that DePoto felt like he was being saddled with uh, with this with these decisions that he didn't make and Socha didn't make. So essentially both of them were um, felt like they were compromising, if that makes sense, on something that they didn't that the other wasn't wasn't benefiting from. And it, because Moreno it was Moreno's idea to sign Pujols, Moreno's idea to sign Hamilton, Moreno's idea to sign CJ Wilson. Um, all three players who've, whose contracts have become sort of burdens for the team here and not here in Hamilton's case. And so I think that really, and if you read into what, what Jerry DePoto said yesterday at his, at his press conference in Seattle, where he for the first time openly said that Moreno was the deciding factor in, in the Hamilton and Pujols signings, uh, I think it's it hints at the fact that maybe the problem is is at the top and not near the top. Um, and if so, then I don't know. You know, speculating on how someone like Billy Epler would work with Artie Moreno is is tough to do. But I don't I don't know that the problem is so much with Socha and and more so with uh, with the owner. So a more traditional baseball problem than than what we maybe thought we had. When Baltimore had a GM opening a few years ago, as I recall, there were some GM candidates who wouldn't even interview. DePoto might have been one of them. I can't remember. But anyway, some guys wouldn't even interview because they just said, well, I'm I'm not going to take the job as Peter Angelos' GM. And after DePoto left, there was some speculation that it was going to be a similar situation with the Angels that nobody would want to go to a front office where, you know, this guy that everybody really respected and who had this you know, seemingly calm deportment cracked and and left uh, in the middle of a year. Has that been at all an issue that you've heard? Do you know if they have had any fewer candidates than they would have had in any other situation? Or are there any GM candidates who were just seen as non-starters because they didn't want to work for Artie or work over Socha? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's tough because you're you're sort of getting into some back channeling type deals but I think there there were definitely some candidates that or some people that could have been candidates that they did that they didn't even reach out to because of that um, because they there was a mutual understanding that there was an interest in this I know I've heard um, that Thad Levine it wasn't uh, wasn't interested in this job for probably both parts of those reasons and you're right Sam I, I, I re- also recall seeing something about DePoto in Baltimore and not wanting that job because of that so yeah it's um with something like this, it's just there's so much speculation because we don't as much as uh, as much as I would like to, I don't know exactly what led to the to the Depoto resignation. And I think it's one of the more fascinating stories of the season is that you know here's a team who was 
<laughs> who immediately went on to success right after that and is more likely than not to make the playoffs. And they lost their constructor midway through this year, um, who immediately got hired somewhere else. So he didn't lose that much stature. And, um, and, and a lot of the pieces that have come into play this season for the Angels were DePoto acquisitions. And he made, a, from my perspective, a lot of good moves in his years here. And the Angels are going to replace him with someone who's unproven, but from the same ilk. So, All right. Well, I'm enjoying Angels Devil Magic, and uh, they've definitely made the last week of the season more exciting than I expected it to be. So at the very least, there's that. Thanks for joining us. Everyone can follow Pedro on Twitter at Pedro Mora. Find him at the OC Register, ocregister.com. Thank you, Pedro. Thank you guys for having me. All right. And our Facebook groups at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes and support our sponsor, the Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And we'll be back tomorrow. Hey everyone, quick episode postscript from an older, wiser me. Naturally, the Garrett Richards-led Angels lost to the Barry Zito-led A's. Not only that, but they lost 8-7, to which made it a one-run win for the A's and a one-run loss for the Angels. Also, Mike Trout stole a base. The Angels are now half a game behind the Astros in the AL wildcard race. In conclusion, baseball is stupid, and I don't know why we like it. Talk to you tomorrow.